0: everyone, welcome back to another episode of Asians Represent. Um, It's been a while and it's your girl Agatha here and I am gonna shoulder this interview alone. It's so weird to not have Daniel on the side making frantic gestures at me (laughs) when I say something (laughs) wrong. So, uh, it's my kingdom now. Um, No, I'm kidding. Uh, This is... This is a very exciting episode because uh, right now on the Twitch, on our Agents Represent Twitch, we, as of this recording, we still have um, an ongoing show run by our guest, um, and it's called Balak Bayan Into the Dark. And it's so good. It's so, so far, the story, I mean, it's a cyberpunk story. And cyberpunk stories are all I feel like supposed to be sad, Mm-mm. but this one is like extra sad <laughs> in an amazing way.
1: Yeah there's there's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of angst and there's a lot of um, yeah because I, I I think it starts from such <laughs> a sad premise right like you are on the run yeah. from the corp and you were formerly enslaved. I think in this last session when I was describing the enslaved dewada in the arena, I could really see everybody's faces. Right. There was this. Yeah. We, we used to be like this. We were used once and discarded. Yeah, right. We so,
0: yeah, it was tough. But <laughs> um, it, it is remiss of me not to introduce our amazing <laughs> guests. So uh, right now we have with us Jamila <laughs> or Jammy Hi. What yes. do you prefer?
1: Oh, I prefer. Uh, uh, oh, you know, I'm good with anything, but everybody calls me Jammy That's super good.
0: So so, Jamie. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I was thrown off because of your Zoom display oh, name. I was like, oh, "Let me read it."
1: You know what? Let me let me change that. I totally forgot. Just so that I, also I mean, like it's to, fine. Yeah, but I also put like um, my pronouns just in case, just so that it's easier. But yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, true, true, true. Yeah. So we have Jamie here, and Jamie is the creator of the game Balicayan, and I was so excited to ask Jamie to do this show for us because I've been wanting to play this game since forever and I I didn't want to run run it (laughs) and I heard that Jami's a really good GM so this all works out (laughs) but so so like I mean what is your experience with cyberpunk like when did you first encounter it and like what was your impression I guess?
1: Yeah, I think when I first truly encountered it was as a young anime fan. This was back in the day when we were renting VHS tapes to watch yes, animes. Yes. It was like a. I, if I have to describe VHS tapes to people who are younger, I'm gonna my heart's gonna break. But basically, I used to rent anime tapes, uh, and so I think my first brush with Cyberpunk was Ghost in the Shell. Uh, the oh, movie okay. and Akira, uh, the movie as well. So like some of the, some of like the darker, more intense forms of cyberpunk. And then I super got into Bubblegum Crisis, uh, which oh, okay. is also like a cyberpunk series. So really, definitely, and more the anime side. I didn't even watch Blade Runner uh, until I want to say like my mid twenties. So I didn't get to watch the what essentially like birthed you know a lot of cyberpunk uh, Blade Runner I was fortunate enough to watch the director's cut I want to say so I never watched like the horrible original version first (laughs) oh I see I I tried to watch the original version later but it was really bad so anyway the director's cut's great though but yeah I first came across it through anime and I think it really shows in the way I designed Balagbayan like I think it wears its anime uh, origins on its sleeve
0: hmm yeah, so that's really interesting, though, that when you first encountered it, it was already through, like, an Asian lens of uh-huh. cyberpunk. Uh-huh. Um, so it is already... It's, I feel like every time I think about, like, anime cyberpunk, I'm always like, this, it's so fascinating because it's, like, what the West thinks of the East in terms of their fears about Japan and then also, like, borrowing the aesthetic of Hong Kong. And, but then this is the this is Japan's interpretation, not not Japan as a whole, but like a Uh Japanese uh interpretation of that. Uh Um, Also with like a strange fascination with Hong Kong. (laughs) Yeah. aesthetics. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: For real, for real. Like, um, it's just so interesting to me how cyberpunk has a lot of fear of the Orient, right? Like a lot of Orientalism. And yet I personally feel like um, anime has done so much for the genre and has really pushed it forward in lots of Mm. different ways like there's so many uh i think with ghost in the shell alone like there's the movies and then there's the series the standalone complex and standalone second gig and it's really interesting stuff i mean it's not you know there's still some weird bits about it um that you know uh like there's there's a way that it's it it doesn't have enough of the punk for me in ghost in the shell Mm. because it doesn't try to buck the system and it doesn't try to like you know create a right. new system, but it still explores a lot of these ideas in a really, really good way that I feel. Like for example, the fact that a lot of these anime characters uh, are robotic or they have a lot of parts that are robotic, but they're not considered less human is really mm. interesting to me because this is such a core concept of the original cyberpunk. And I wonder if it's because like, you know, Asian cultures we don't attach too much to the physical body. Right. Like a lot of our original religions and a lot of our cultures sort of see there's no real difference between the human body and a tree, for example, or whatever else. Uh, So compared to the Western ideal of, oh, if we do anything to the body, then we're no longer human. That isn't like uh, that is something that's discussed in anime. But the answer is not we're less human. Right. So there are a lot of characters that that hardly have any of their original uh, biological components left, but they're still... We don't question it. Uh, and I think it reflects in Balik Bayan because a lot of the playbooks and a lot of the characters don't assume that you have to have a physical body in order to be, like, a real person, in order to be someone capable of love or who wants change, right? You don't have to attach that to having a physical body.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I... Let's let's talk about Bayon, Bayan because I... I was so... I remember just being... First of all, I really like the the picture that's on your (laughs) your itch.io page of for Balogvide. That was the main reason why I wanted to check it out. (laughs) So that was great. But I... It is so cool that all of the playbooks or, like, all of the types of characters that you can play are elemental. So can you kind of just explain, like, the... The setting or the core premise for Bayan?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the core premise is that, uh, like you said, the playbooks you are elementals. So you play as beings who were once like pure magic, like uh, from the Philippines. Uh, Though when I think about it, I don't even use the word Philippines, right? Like it's just sort of there's an assumption, Um, right? Yeah.
0: all, all of the, the names of the playbooks, I, I'm assuming, are uh-huh. Tagalog, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And also the name is that, but I love that it's not drawing attention to it in a way that is very centered uh-huh. in the culture. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: but, uh. yeah, yeah. And to me, I feel like it's true because I feel like you can find the Philippines anywhere. You can find a Filipino anywhere because our Mm -hmm. diaspora, right? There's, there's so many of us and we bring our culture with us. And that's why I didn't, when I wrote the game, I didn't say it has to take place in the Philippines or it has to take place in Manila, right? Right. Um, Was where I was coming from. But, uh, but going back to the premise, uh, basically Mm -hmm. you play as elementals, beings of pure magic that were connected to the land. Uh, You were connected to the original folklores and myths and legends. Uh, But over the centuries, over the generations, uh, what happened was the elementals were enslaved by the corp. Uh, And now part part of their, I'm sorry, part of their magic has now been replaced by machinery. But I wanted to be very clear, like it's not like their magic is becoming less because of it. It's more like the machine and the magic have this symbiotic, Relationship where they're feeding off of each other. But right. the elementals are still, because of the way the corp has used them, they're losing access to their magic or the magic is changing and they're fading away. They've lost their immortality. And so you play as elementals who have escaped from the corp and you've made your way back home to the city where you came from, uh, hence the term bayan, right? To come home, to return home. Uh, and oh. yeah 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 and and you're trying to basically through the game you're trying to figure out how can you destroy the corp how can you bring about the rebirth of magic right those are the two main things uh that you do in Bayan. and uh I will quickly say that one of my favorite bits it hasn't happened for our group yet on the stream probably because we haven't had a chance to sit around and talk as characters uh but Every time I run Belig Bayan, what I enjoy is there's always going to be at least one conversation where people don't agree what the rebellion is supposed to look like, because Mm. everybody always has a different idea of what that is. And I feel like that's a really important conversation that keeps coming up in Belig Bayan that I really love about the game
0: oh yeah that's very cool so i have a question actually about the name because i remember uh googling so uh, this is all from the internet uh, I, I googled the word and then all i uh, well not all uh, a lot of what i saw were people talking about like bug buying boxes mm. and it was very much like a term that uh the filipino diaspora associate with like um, their relationship with the people still in the Philippines, like their family and friends and stuff like that. So, did you have any like? Do you have any thoughts that like went into this layer? I guess, yeah, like, like, yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely. Like, I originally was worried about naming the game, but like because, um, you know, there is the fact that if you name your game something with not an English word, it'll be harder to to reach people, but. But like, buying is such a strong word that carries such a strong connotation for us. So it's really associated with like the like, buying box, like you say. This is like people who live in... Hmm, I think it's not it's not fair if I just say it's people who live... So the thing about the Philippines is that because of colonialism and because of like centuries of the country being used, you know, this, this mirrors a lot and what's in the game. Uh, right. Basically, it's very hard for us to sustain ourselves. Uh we our infrastructure is so weak, and we're still reeling, and we're still dealing with a lot of the issues that were introduced centuries ago. That's ingrained in our culture, and so a lot of people, uh, especially like, you know, a few decades before, were forced to leave the country and have to work abroad for their family back home, right? And that still happens to this day. I want to stress that this is still yeah. very much a truth right now, but. Uh, With other things like the call center industry, it sort of evened it out a little bit, which is still, uh, you know, as much as the call center industry has helped, it's also part of the emblematic problem. But anyway, so, uh, but basically what happens is, so the black buying box is associated with with love and connection because these are people who were forced to leave and they can't be with their families. Like a lot of time they don't see their families for like years and years, right? Mm -hmm. There's some people where, Uh, They don't come home because of, like, the visa situation or because of other legal stuff. They can't come home for, like, 5, 10, 20 years, right? And so what they do is they send back these boxes, right? They send in everything. So usually it's food because Filipinos' love language is almost always food. So it's, like, uh, they they put these boxes together. Sometimes it's just, like, entire boxes of, like, toothpaste or whatever. Like, it's just whatever Mm -hmm. they think that people need back home. They put it together and they send it back. Um, So that's one association, but another is every time someone visits, right, the Philippines, and these are people who have had to uproot their lives, and now they live in another country mostly, but, you know, they still visit when they can. We call them Badik right? So,
0: Ah.
1: yeah, yeah, they're like, um, so this has been something that I have been called a lot because um, uh, due to varying factors, but also mainly my privilege, I talk in English, like uh, it's it's my first language, so I'm more comfortable talking in English right. actually. And uh, to to the Filipino ear, like I sound like an American, which is not true, but. <laughs> But like, I don't sound like a, a Filipino, so people often ask me if I'm Balikbayan. They're like, "Oh, are you visiting? How long are you here <laughs> for? Like, are you originally <laughs> from from the states?" And I and I have to keep saying, "No, I've lived here like most of my life. <laughs> like, I've lived here since I was a teenager, since I was since I was ten years old, actually, not even a teenager." So, um, but yeah, so there's a lot that's like wrapped up in the term Balikbayan, uh, and I think a lot of my own understanding of the culture and me being biracial and me being. A third culture kid and me still seeing myself as Filipino I still identify with being Filipino I still see myself as Filipino even if a lot of people here will not do the same for me right they will They will look at me and they won't see me right. as a Filipino right wow. so a lot of that is in the game a lot of that is wrapped up in just a term but like by end right so
0: <laughs> yeah yeah oh I love that um, also because um, as like a I guess I'm second generation um a uh, taiwanese Canadian this a lot of that whole thing about being uh, having that sort of that privilege and then the weight of expectation as well uh-huh, is, uh-huh. so then that then associated with the game along with all of the um, the post colonial themes is is so it speaks to me at such a deeper level uh, <laughs> because of that. Yeah, and I, and I
1: feel that in our stream, like when I bring up certain themes or when we were doing um, some of the setting building together, I really felt like so many people got it, right? Because of that background of being Asian and understanding how colonialism has affected so many of our cultures. Um, it was my first time running Balak Bayan outside of the Philippines, right? I've run Balak Bayan for, for local groups here, but it was my first time running Balak Bayan for an all Asian group um outside of the philippines and it felt super good it felt really it's i just really love this cast it's really amazing
0: <laughs> yeah it's this is a great game and everyone brings a lot of different elements that i'm enjoying a lot uh-huh, uh-huh. so so then like what inspired you to what what first gave you that idea and then also propelled you to really make this amazing game
1: yeah. Oh my gosh. So when I bring up all of that stuff, like post-colonialism and, you know, my own biracial identity, I want to stress that I did not realize it while I first made the game. <laughs> right? right? So like, it's stuff that I realized after when people were asking me questions about the game or when I was looking at the game, I was like, oh yeah. Like, you know, it's just, I didn't realize I have been, I'm still processing a lot of this like postcolonialism, and, and, um, And this personal relationship with decolonization, right? Because Mm -hmm. um, like very briefly, before I get into um, how I I created Balakbayan, Bayan, the term decolonization means very different things depending on the context and the conversation. So my understanding of it is in the West, when we talk about decolonization, it's attached to the idea that the land, right, has been taken and was never ceded properly and there was no compensation. So there's a lot of focus on the land, and mm-hmm. on reparations and, and stuff like that. But in the Philippines, it's tricky because we technically, we do have access to our land, right? And so mm-hmm. the decolonization conversation is not about that, but but instead it's a much more personal thing, right? Like the personal trauma and the prejudices that we have inherited, right? So mm-hmm. like this is a common theme in like, Bayan, but the idea like, Uh, Even though our colonial masters left us and abandoned us like they do, you know, with with several other countries uh, and nations here in the world, then the people they left behind just became new masters, right? So a lot of the people who are in power now have been in power since the Spanish were here, since we were colonized for Mm -hmm. 300 years. These were like certain people that were given certain benefits by the Spanish controlled by the Spanish and they're still in control right now right they are the new masters essentially so so decolonization for me is a very personal thing and I think Balak Bayan ended up being and I didn't realize it until afterwards I was like oh this is part of my personal decolonization process right Mm -hmm. and I think this looks different for a lot of people like for some people it's about trying to explore a pre-colonial Philippines like what that looked like before the Spanish came Um, but for me, I'm more interested in a post-colonial discussion, which is what I think cyberpunk is, right? Like a post, like, like 25 minutes into the future, as they like to say. Um, and I wanted to combine that with this post-colonial idea. And I want to say, like I said, I want to combine, but it was all very like subconscious. Like I wasn't really consciously thinking of it. So When I first made Bayan*, it was in preparation for a local convention we we have here called Session Zero. We were going to present our games and I don't know, I just had this feeling like, I want to make a new game. Like I really want to. uh, It was like two weeks until we were going to present and I thought, you know, I can make the game in two weeks, such hubris, (laughs) such hubris. (laughs) So I made the game in two weeks, and I use the belonging as I belonging system, because it's one of my favorite systems. Previously, I had designed uh, one game called Our Haunt, which is about you being ghosts in a haunted house, hanging out together, being a found family, basically. Um, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, I wanted to uh, do it again for Balik Bayan, and, um, and you know, I, it's so hard. Like, I think in those two weeks, it just came together so quickly because I was like, yeah, I love cyberpunk, and yeah, I love the supernatural, and yeah, I love magic, and I want to bring all those things together, and like I've always loved Shadowrun, like some of my most fond memories in the TTRPG community is me playing uh, my troll archer summoner uh, who also happens to be a dominatrix, who worked. (laughs) That's so Shadowrun. Yeah, it's so Shadowrun. Who worked at Purgatory, you know, the bar. It was very cool, very Shadowrun. But, like, the thing I didn't like was because I was playing a summoner character, uh, I couldn't access a lot of the machine or augmentation or cybernetic aspects because the game would be like, well, if you do that, it's going to make you less effective as a magic user who summons spirits. And I'm like, why? Why do? Why are you like blocking me off from this? Right? You've, yeah. you've introduced a world to me, and I know there are certain classes uh, and certain ways you can combine the two in Shadowrun. It's very difficult. Like for the most part, they keep you know these two things separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to create a game where there is no separation between right. what is machine and what is magic because I I don't see why we have to uh, separate those two ideas. I don't know why we have to exist in a binary. Uh, between yeah. magic and not magic right between machine and not machine so um so i really did i i wanted to design that in such a way to reflect it um in in the game uh of balikbayan and then when i was done with that first version i was like oh this is this is a pretty i mean this is a pretty cool game i mean you know i want to say balikbayan <laughs> is still a work in progress and i'm still working on it uh oh like uh more than a year later, I think it's been like a year and a half since I first uh, put it out. But uh, but basically, it does carry. It's like my my very intense love letter to both cyberpunk and what I love about Filipino folklore. I think I think that's what part like, right. of is.
0: Yeah. So all of the uh, playbooks are elementals, like you said, but it's not like the Western. Idea when you think of elementals, you think of elements uh-huh, uh, like uh-huh. fire, water. It's not that, right? So, uh-huh, uh-huh. what what are they ins- like inspired by?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because we call them elementals here, uh the duende mm. and the so all our all our beings of folklore, like the duende, the swang. Some of us like use the term elemental. Um, I'm trying to remember where it came from. Like, I'm trying to remember who first told me, but. It's something that I've just always known. But I want to stress like not every Filipino does that, right? Like but but right. but my family and the ones I know, they like um call them elementals. And I think it's connected to the idea that these beings of folklore, they are inherently connected to the earth. They are an extension of the earth. And I think it also reflects a lot of the pre-colonial notions we had, where we were all connected to buthala, you know, this being, we are all buthala, mm-hmm. we are all energy, we are all God at the same time, um, and and so that's probably a part of where Elemental came from. But I also like this is, uh, I like to joke. That Balik Bayan is actually a sequel because I have other games where I have used the Aswang, the Duende, and Mm. other things. So, like, I have a another game that's where you're a Tower Reader, or one of you plays as a Tower Reader, and someone else plays as an Elemental that's seeking out advice about love, (laughs) and and so, and then I associated like different love, uh, you know, uh, concerns, issues with certain. So, the Duende is someone who is like. Usually in a long-term relationship and they're in a bit of a rut or something because, you know, they're so grounded. And then, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and different, and then Tikbalang is someone who runs away from love and has to learn how to, how to trust love and stuff. Anyway, so I, I, I just, um, that game is actually, uh, available on my site too. But, but basically I've always been interested in, in beings of folklore. I've always loved the stories. I've always loved learning about them um it's just some of my favorite stuff I have several books on the subject that I just really love and it's always just been really fascinating to me because um so I grew up in Singapore and like our horror stories in Singapore okay I want to say that I don't you know to Singaporeans reading, listening to this right now I haven't been to Singapore in a long time but when I was young growing up, the ghost stories were really boring. <laughs> like, they were just, like, really not super scary. Um, and then when I moved here, I was like, wow, this stuff is so good, right? Like, the Aswang and the Mananangal, and uh, they're just really the interesting. The Mananangal is
0: metal AF. <laughs> yeah,
1: right? So so people who are listening who don't know about the Mananangal, they're basically, like, they split in half uh, at the waist, and then they have these huge bat wings, uh and it's just really really cool it's really good stuff and then um another reason i wanted to put elementals in balikbayan is because i went to this oh sorry one second yeah uh, i went to this uh um talk like uh i I don't know i'm like blanking out on the word It was kind of like a small seminar uh the bj reshaw uh who is also part of the local ttrpg scene uh he put together a talk about the origins of a lot of these folklores and, and, and our monster stories and our horror stories and how a lot of them were used to control people, right? So a lot of the fears that they reflect. So, for example, the Mananangao, because traditionally the idea is the Mananangal preys on pregnant women, right? And mm-hmm. because they want, they have these long tongues that, like, attack and, like, slurp up the fetus, basically, uh, right, truly horrifying stuff. Uh, truly that is meta- terrifying. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> and but the main reason it was written that way was so that it would control women, right? So they would have to stay home, and someone mm-hmm. would always have to watch them to make sure that they were safe. And it would always encourage, like, if you were pregnant and unwed, you should get married so a man can take care of you because those manananggal out there are gonna get you, right? So there was this like, right. and and a lot of the fears are based on that. So for example, the tikbalang, which now. When we talk about the Tikbalang in the Philippines, people know it as an anthropomorphic horse being, right? So like the head of a horse, but the body of a man, and then the legs of like the hind legs of a horse. Um, But we don't naturally have horses in the Philippines. They're not native. So why is one of our most important creatures of myth and legend based on an animal that isn't inherently Filipino? And the answer is the Tikbalang wasn't always horse-based, like, it was closer to, like, a crocodile, which, you know, we do have here, but then Mm -hmm. the Spanish took the myth of the Tikbalang, and they wanted us to be afraid of horses, because they rode horses, right, and so, so instead, they made sure that the Tikbalang instead is, like, a horse-based creature, and then we just forgot Mm -hmm. that, like, right, because they just rewrote that a long time ago, and so, I wanted to take each and every one of those myths and legends. And I wanted to, this is part of my decolonization process, right? I wanted to reinterpret them. So the Tikbalang in Balagbayan isn't just attached to the horse. They can become any mythical version of an animal or creature, right? And then the duwada, because usually like our duwadas, if you look up, what a Is there, like, conflicting reports? Like, they're like, oh, they're like cute little fairies, more like the Western world. And then another report, it's like, they were once the gods that we worshipped, right? Like, it's this... Mm-hmm. It, there's a lot of inconsistencies, which is going to happen. The Philippines is, like, thousands of islands, lots of cultures, lots of different backgrounds, right? And so reinterpretations right. of our folklore. But I, I think it also shows that level of control, right, where the Spanish came in and said, yeah, we can't have you worshipping other gods, so they're fairies now, right? So, like... Uh, so I gave the Dawada back that power. Like I wanted to them be to be the strongest, rawest form of power, right? Uh, and then for uh, a lot of the other playbooks, I just wanted to reinterpret them in some way. Like I talked about this on the stream a little bit, but the saint, um, and I went back and forth on this, right? But I feel like it's really hard to deny the impact of religion on the Philippine culture. And mm-hmm. how it's such an integral part uh, of the conversation and of our of ourselves, and how we identify, even though I myself am agnostic. Um, and so I wanted the saints, which is normally associated, because we have so many good stories about the saints. If you read, like, there's some really badass stuff about like this this woman saint who like walked through the ocean carrying a sword. It was just really good stuff, really cool stories. Right. And I was like, I had right. to put a saint in here somehow. Um, but instead of like the saint being connected to one god, the Catholic god. Instead, the saints in Balagbaid is connected to the little gods or all these other gods, basically. Um, and I wanted to give it a more... I wanted to reflect um, how Filipinos originally, before the Spanish came, uh, worship ancestors and all these different gods and nature. And I wanted that to reflect there, but I wanted to give the players... opportunity to define what are the little gods like what are these fragments of divinity and i i every time we play i really love it when we get to see the different versions of the little god like in our stream for example this is the first time and i played balikbayan like dozens of times uh, with dozens of groups and this is the first time someone has made the little gods like human shaped right like Mm. actually like when, when Jean did it for his character Xander, usually when when it's a little god, they they come in different shapes and sizes and they're usually pretty small. So I was really interested. Right. I was, like how, how Xander was having like this real on conversation, like, like the little god was a person. I thought that was so interesting. That was super cool. To
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you feel like... I Okay. So one of the things that I was so into about Balak Bayan is the fact that it is so cyberpunk and also so Asian. Um, So do you, and like all of the, all of what you said, and I love that it's the intentions didn't come before the design, because that is usually how design and or writing Mm -hmm, is. mm -hmm. It's influenced by parts of yourself that you're still working through. Exactly. A hundred percent. That just kind of bleeds into whatever you create. Mm -hmm. But it, it. do you feel like this is a good, like, this is a direction that cyberpunk can head in because, like, we're still recording this in the wake of uh, Cyberpunk 2077, 20- <laughs> uh-huh. um, which uh, has a lot of controversies that are more on the technical side that we're not going to deal with. But it's still, like... Like, cyberpunk, in terms of, I guess, the Western imagination, is still kind of stagnated. Yeah, in That um, kind of fear. And, like, now it's, like the new fear is kind of 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 China as the new superpower as like, which, you know, I understand like there's when you feel like economic and or like a political threat to your status quo, that's, that's terrifying. And so in a way it's still relevant, but I, that is kind of problematic. So, but this other application of cyberpunk, this very, the way that you did the punk is, uh, is that, anti-colonial aspect of it is i've never thought about it but it fits really well so do you feel like that is kind of like a good direction for cyberpunk to head in or
1: yeah yeah actually like what's surprising to me is um because when i started getting into more western cyberpunk i was like why is it still stuck here like why is blade runner was really good um but also it's from 1982 right it's like it was a long time ago uh and in fact I think the newer Blade Runner even though it wasn't as well received I thought it was trying to do something really interesting with the Hmm. genre like it was it was more personal I felt like like it was trying to upend itself and then by being really up front that the character was wasn't human, I thought was really interesting. But I could still see like they were still working within the limitations of like what came before, right? Um, and so I definitely feel like it makes more sense to me. Cause Cyberpunk used to be a warning, right? Like that was right. very much what it was. As a genre, it was a warning. This is what's coming. We have to be careful, we have to remember to stay connected, we have to not fall for the for the temptations of the corporations and materialism and capitalism, but whoops, we're here already. Uh, You know, what are we going to do? And so I feel like it's really hollow if current cyberpunk still tries to work within those themes, because we're already in the middle of that cyberpunk reality. Right. Right. Like, like when you watch Akira and when you watch, um, other aspects like Altered Carbon, it feels like, doesn't this feel kind of like now? Like a lot of what we're watching, doesn't this feel very close uh, to what's happening right now? So I feel like having cyberpunk as a genre instead become a way of like, okay, so we are in this dystopic kind of future already. It's already happening now, even if a lot of the aesthetic trappings, you know, aren't fully there yet. Um, So what are we going to do about it? Right, I think cyberpunk as a genre can be more powerful if it can be a way for us to find hope for us to learn how to build community for us to learn how to move forward like together, I think is where cyberpunk can be really powerful, and I see aspects of that in Asian cyberpunk for sure, right more so mm-hmm. than uh western cyberpunk like I feel there is this inherent because for better or for worse, right, a lot of the a lot of Asian stories about are about like working together as a group, right? Right. And like setting aside your individual selfishness and desire and, and becoming stronger together as a group, which is, you know, both it has both its pros and cons, right, for sure. Right. Um right. but but I think that's that's a really good way to move forward with cyberpunk and really just having more voices in cyberpunk that are not necessarily just from the Western culture, right? Uh, that are not necessarily like like I, I've been watching a few cyberpunk documentaries recently, and when they show the faces of the people who created cyberpunk, they're all white dudes, right? So like right. it's just a, it's just a sea of white dudes, and I feel that shows right. So I think yeah. the more interesting cyberpunk are from people who come from different backgrounds, who have different ways of interpreting the genre for sure, and I think that's a way more exciting route to take. And I just feel like in general, as a creator, I feel like. I And this is very personal, but I feel like there is no use to anything I create if it does not bear hope in it, right? I want whatever I create to be something that can help people recognize hope, work towards hope, cultivate hope, right? And and so that's what I always want to do. So that's why in Balik Bain, even though the circumstances are so dire, I wanted to create powers that would make the players feel really powerful, make them make them really connect to the idea that now that you are unshackled from the corp, right, even if you are on the run, uh, even if this creating rebellion is difficult, you are still powerful beings that can become even more powerful. So, uh, that was definitely one of my one of my guiding principles in making the game. One of the few things I was conscious about was like, Oh, I want them to have fun being powerful, <laughs> powerful people. So yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so you were saying that the game is still a work in progress. so uh what what parts of it are new, I guess or are parts that you're still working on?
1: Yeah, so um a lot of what I was working on, so I have this like really weird habit as a game designer where when I'm trying to figure out the mechanics of something or or I'm trying to work at a game, I will just make an entirely new game uh, exploring <laughs> that mechanic and then so while I was working on Baltic Bayan I made several other belonging outside belonging games to test out theories so the first one was what if I remove regular moves and just had strong and and weak moves which I saw some games right. doing but yeah, like yeah. and the reason why I decided to make an entirely new game was like I know I know I'm so attached to Baltic Bayan and I know it'd be hard to like remove stuff so i was like you know i'm just gonna make an entirely new game so i made Oathbreakers, which is uh inspired by world of darkness mage ascension vertigo 90s comics but basically i really made it just so that i could experiment with the idea of having no regular moves Uh, i also wanted to experiment with the idea of having a specific end game of mine because they have to face the conspiracy versus facing the corp here okay and i wanted to experiment with having simpler like superpowers in, in Oathbreakers, it's magic rituals instead. Um, and I also want to experiment se- setting elements. So I did all of that. <laughs> and then I was like, I think I'm only going to keep one or two things for Bye. but this is still a good game on its own, but I'm just going to keep one or two things. I decided to not remove the regular moves because, uh, for a lot of players, it's nice to have regular moves to like lean on, especially in a word like, like buy-in where things are so weird and so hmm. out there and you are playing people that are technically not human. It's nice to have the regular moves um, as a backup. And then after that, I made um, several other games just to like keep testing theories. But one of the most recent ones was Brinkwood Refuge, which is supposed to be like a quiet, slice-of-life, cozy game about recovering from trauma and helping each other. It's a supplement game to Brinkwood, Blood of Tyrants. Um, and one of the things I experimented on was the idea of base building mechanics. And so Ooh, yeah. each, each player, each playbook in Brinkwood comes already attached with the physical part of the refuge. So if you're playing the healer, then you're going to have access to the healing tent. If you play the historian, then you have access to the library, right? If you're playing... Uh, the keeper, the keeper of the masks, these magical Fae things, then you have access to the shrine. And then from there, you can like build up two more aspects. So if you have the healing tent, you can then build an apothecary or a bathhouse. So you better believe in the first session we built the bathhouse. Like people were like so excited <laughs> to have a bathhouse. Um, but I so as I was playtesting the game, I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. Like this, this base building that I wasn't sure of, right? Because
0: right.
1: I feel like personally. I feel like it doesn't matter how good I feel my ideas are until they get to a table with a group. I don't know how the de- the design actually works. Right. Mm-hmm, so, yeah. um, but you know, that's me personally. Cause like, I just, I just feel like I cannot predict how people are going to interact with the mechanics I create um but as we were doing it i was like wow this feels really good this is like people were really looking forward to the end of each session and spending their tokens um and i think it also addressed the fact that for belonging outside belonging games for some people it's just so easy to pick up tokens and to lean into their weak moves but for other players it's not as easy right and so i wanted there to be a way with oh but all of you can join your tokens together anyway to build something together Right. right. Um, and so I decided to bring that into Balak Bayan because I knew upon testing when I first made Balak Bayan, I thought, yeah, this is a game you can play in like two to four sessions. I was very wrong. I was very, very wrong. Balak Bayan is much better across like at least six sessions, I feel. Yeah. I was
0: reading the PDF and it still says two, <laughs> like the, the minimum is still two. And I'm like,
1: I don't, no, any, no. I don't know, cheat <laughs> exactly, exactly, because that was based on like one play test, right? When I first wrote that part right, of the right. re, that part of the game, like I think I no, I think two playtests, just two playtests. and and it can it can vary wildly, and and now though, with when I see balikbayan. I see that like, you create so many threads that it's just easier to like have at least six sessions. Um, I feel like but is like, actually best in like twelve sessions or so. Um,
0: I I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Because like, like for we... our for yeah. into the dark, it's it's also like ugh, like we have so <laughs> many things that we people are interested in, but we only have two sessions
1: left. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, um, and then so then I felt like that the question was if people are going to keep playing, where's the sense of progression going to come from? Right. Because I mean, you know, arguably you could say that the story is a sense of progression and everything, but as, as a, as a TTRPG person, I also appreciate having little level ups and like, it's just, you know, my brain appreciates it. And so I wanted to create some form of like level progression uh, and there are games that are doing it like Wander Home by J-Dragon has progression from for their what is uh, based on belonging Side belonging I feel like Wander Home is very much its own game but it's based on belonging inside belonging as well and the playbooks the characters can have like level ups but I felt like I kept feeling that wasn't quite right for Brelig Bayan because I was thinking they're really powerful beings right. Right. right, they're very, they're incredibly powerful. I feel like it doesn't make sense to just put on more stuff. Uh, but then when I saw Brinkwood Refuge and how good it felt to like, uh, whenever you built up a part of your location playbook, you also had access to new moves, new ways of getting tokens that weren't necessarily um, because Refuge is such a cozy game that the moves aren't necessarily like difficult to do. Like you can earn tokens mm-hmm. from like. Uh, from sitting down and having tea with everybody, or you can earn tokens from uh, attending to the sick in the healing tent, right? So stuff like that. Right. And so um and I thought it made sense for Bayan, Like as I was doing it, I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense that the progression is in the city, right? Because uh Balakbayan Akayo, sorry, I switched to the uh, you are Bayan, right? You are coming home. Right. And so uh it makes sense that you grow your connection to the city and you grow your connection yeah. to the home. Uh, so so far it's been really good. You're the first group that I've tested this out on, right? <laughs> mm, <laughs> gitty gitty. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be testing this out in more groups, but so far I like it because it uh, it feels like there's a very strong idea of where the game can go. Because yes. originally when I designed Balik Bayan, <laughs> someone just told me this recently. They were like, "Shabby Butik Bayan feels like an eight lane super highway, right? There are so many directions." The game can go in. But then now with this like city building thing, it's a bit easier. Like it's easier to decide as a group, oh, I want to head to the lab and find out more secrets. Or I want to head to the sensorium and deal with the hedonistic themes of cyberpunk. Or I want to go to the market and do that stuff. And then Mm. I wanted to make it more clear about how you can rebuild magic. Because before that, it was all narrative like what you do to build magic and i realized a lot of groups have a hard time understanding what that would look like so instead now with this version it's like well you you bring about the rebirth of magic by unlocking the heart of the city and unlocking the forest unlocking the spirit realm unlocking sulad you know uh, access to the afterlife and then from there so it's still very much a work in progress but so far it's felt really fun uh in our game i really enjoyed how like it was exactly when everybody got excited to unlock the sensorium, right? And yeah, unlock the moon. I, I was like, okay, this is working. <laughs> like, I
0: love <laughs> this aspect. I love, I love base build like the base building mechanic. I love spending my resources to buy things. <laughs> so yeah. I am so happy that you decided to playtest uh, with our group for that. Um, and I agree. I feel like uh, this is a thing about about uh, belonging outside belonging games for me which oh, is yeah. that it's it's so open in some ways it's oh, yeah. like the only kind of it's not constraints but y- uh-huh. you know what I mean like uh-huh. Uh-huh. it's you're basically defined by the genre in terms of like what direction you can take your story but also all players come from different backgrounds and understandings of different genres so it, it can seem very overwhelming for a lot of people um so i I really like this adding this part to um because you're right it it did give us a sense of direction first of all it gave us a very strong sense of place in terms of like what kind of a cyberpunk story this is aside from our um our playbooks which are also evocative um but belonging outside Belonging games are already very good at that
1: uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: um but like to give us a sense of place is so great, um, especially because that is such a big part of this game, and it's such a big part of cyberpunk is the city. Yeah, is, uh, it's is own a character. character. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: So I I really like it, um, and. I feel like it also motivates me even more to get as many tokens as possible.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that—that that was another big reason I did it because I was like, I hope this helps push people towards gaining more tokens because they're like, I want to be able to spend these tokens by the end of the session, right? So, yeah. Um, and I feel like that's been been happening in the other games because, uh, like, Brinkwood Refuge, I've run that like. Uh, I think close to a dozen times. I have to double check the math, but something along the, that number. And the base building felt super, super strong. So I really wanted to bring that into like buy-in. And then I, I attached it to like NPCs also, right? Because I felt like... Um, it's very easy for me as a GM personally to come up with with NPCs. Maybe not names. Okay, names are difficult. But yeah. <laughs> I'm sure every GM can relate. But personally, yeah. <laughs> I, I can come up with NPCs fairly easily. But I realize like, not every GM can do that. And for me, a city feels more real if there are more NPCs who represent aspects of the city. So I wanted to build that in also, right? So every time you pick... A new move in the base building part of Balikba and you also get access to like a new npc or a new group or a new secret just just something along those lines um, yeah i wanted to do
0: yeah and i another f- feedback i guess we <laughs> <to make> doing <laughs> feedback on the episode. but another thing that i thought was very helpful in terms of helping me uh, understand get a better understanding of the game is is the fact that we start with the haven Mm. and that kind of like, first of all, we all create it together um, based on the the options that you give Um, and then that centers us and in a way I feel like I can focus on that and I don't feel like lost in the city so we start from only one place and then we really get a good idea of what that is and then as we play more then we unlock more places by spending tokens on them um and that that is so helpful in managing um mental load or like like the amount of work that i have to do which is often a lot especially for outside belonging games in my experience um so i feel like this is so helpful it's like okay so this is the place and then we just have to interact with the npcs and their problems here right now or not their problems but Mm -hmm. sort of their problems (laughs) (laughs) um and then if we want to because you could also choose not to unlock them i guess yeah yeah i don't know I guess that'll be interesting to see if uh-huh, if uh-huh. any group wants to do that. But if you want to just focus on this, you can also just play within this very small sandbox. And that is helpful, I think, in, in mediating a lot of what people struggle with, with this specific system. So I uh-huh. am loving it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's true. And The Haven actually came about because... When I first started running like, Bion, I always assumed, uh, just because I'm that kind of player, that the players would want to hit the ground running. Like, they'd be cool with starting out with a scene about hitting an aspect of the core, blah, blah, blah. I guess that's like Shadowrunner yeah. background, right? Um, <laughs> but a lot of people, when I ran the game, like 80, 90% of the time, they'd be like, well, where do we hang out in the city? Like, where have we... Where's safe for us here in the city. Like, they kept asking those questions, and we kept having to create a version of the Haven over and over again. And it would take so much, like you said, creative energy, like it'd be this mental load that we would do at the start of every session, at the start of every series. And I thought, why don't I just mechanize that? Right? So if we're going to have a Haven, might as well just like put those options that people can choose from just so it's easier. Right. So they just choose who the leader is of the Haven, uh, a few aesthetics uh, like ideas to describe the haven, so everyone understands the place that they're in, and a few threats, um, you know, in case people want to, and the GM wants to create problems for the players to deal with, and then that's it, right? So it's like this mini adventure building, <laughs> like kind of situation, yeah. like adventure yeah. setting, location building uh, that's really quick and easy, and and I felt like that that really worked out well for us. I thought that was super fun uh, with the haven because that. That holographic graffiti that we chose in aesthetic for Haven became its own character it did. <laughs> in our first it, session. So I thought that was really good.
0: Yeah. So um, do you so you decided to make uh Bulk buy-in either GMless or can be mm. run with a GM. Like do you do you have a preference for how it works? Or have you found in mm. all the times that you've had sessions of this game, like which one people thrived in?
1: Yeah, yeah. So for me personally, uh, this is very much a personal thing. I just I just like having a GM um, because I found in a game where people weren't used to being the GM, like, so if I offered Balik Bayan to someone who's never played an RPG before, they understood the GM-less part better. They understood the concept better of like, oh, I, I put down my character and I pick up a setting element or, you know, I become mm. the storyteller for a while. But every time I offered Balik Bayan to people who've played rpgs before right they had such a hard time they were like i'm not just a character i'm gonna Mm. be the gm right and there's this like if you come from this traditional uh old school way of thinking like there's this very weird like the gm is the god right who comes Mm -hmm. up with everything uh kind of feeling and so it was difficult and so uh which is why i offered the chance like you can have a gm if you want to but now that i've been playtesting the game a lot and working with it. I think the final version of Balik Bayan is going to assume that the core is that there's going to be a GM. Um, but I still very much want to at least have one chapter, if not more, dedicated to GMless play because I've heard from numerous people nir- pe- numerous people who play Balik Bayan that for people who are newer or divergent, they appreciate not having a GM, right? Because it's kind of harder for, uh, from what I've heard from people, when there's like a single person who's in charge of the story, it's harder to focus. On the oh, story, okay. and it's harder to play. Um, and so I just wanna I just wanna provide them, you know, more options to play. Like there's someone they've been playing But like, Bayan on and off uh almost every week for like ever since I released the game. So Whoa. that was like Yeah, 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 yeah. So they've been like and this is the, with the original rules and everything, none of the base building stuff so, like so they've been playing wow. this game on and off since yeah, September two thousand uh two thousand I want to say 2019. Yeah, that's when I released it. So they've been playing it ever since then. Um, they've even brought the characters into other games <laughs> like, when oh, they need to insane. take a break, right? Because bine is so intense and then they come back to it. It's so it's so amazing. So I definitely... And they, they've been playing a GM list the whole time, right? So I definitely want to uh, make it an, an important component or option. But I think moving forward... Um, I'm going to think of it because like, I felt like personally when I looked at the design of Butik Bayan, it wasn't as strong as it could be because it would let you switch back and forth without having a GM, right or having one. And so there were some parts, for example, if you have a GM, then there're just too many setting elements to, to keep track of. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you don't have a GM, then then there's not enough for people to do if they're uh, if they're if they're taking part. Uh, and co-GMing with everyone else so which is why I made some big decisions like uh, in this current version of Balik Bayan that I have there are only three setting elements instead of six um, right Right. so I took out that setting element of Heart of the City and then I turned it into part of the base building just moved oh, it into <laughs> I see into okay. another section and then I combined Magic and the Fading yeah all this stuff like it's just it's just a lot of work a lot of loving work I'm really enjoying it uh, going into Balik Bayan. so it's it's definitely a labor of love that I really appreciate having the chance to have.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, I mean, I guess this is we're still in the al alpha. I don't I don't know what beta, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but like we're still in the early stages of, of playtesting all these new, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all these new mechanics. I guess, mm-hmm. but like if if people are interested in finding out more about this game in buying the current version, which doesn't have the base building, but I'm sure like once you update it, then it <laughs> will be there. Where can they find that?
1: Yeah, so you can find Bayan at uh, temporalhiccup.itch.io. So that's where I put all of my games. So Bayan is there. Uh, I will say that my patrons uh, have access to all my games in process. Ooh. Yeah, hmm. so I'm planning on releasing the current version of Bayan there first. Uh, but I'm definitely going to update the itch. Because, like, I just don't want to give people an itch, like, a version that I haven't, like, thoroughly tested. Does that make sense? I'm such a... Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I'm such a Capricorn that way. But, like, I just want to make sure <laughs> that I can say, y'all, I tested this. <laughs> like, just to be absolutely sure. But, yeah. But you can you can find the latest version of all of my games, like, all the games in progress uh, at my Patreon, Sword Queen Games.
0: Okay, so that's Sword Queen Games, and then your itch.io is Temporal Hiccup, and all of these will be in the um, episode description. Mm-hmm. But wow, that was! I, thank you so much for coming on to talk about to talk about cyberpunk, to talk about um, <laughs> decolonization, talk about Filipino culture, and just and also just talk about your design of this amazing game. <laughs>
1: yeah thank you so much for having me i i hope i hope people enjoyed me rambling with love about the game but yeah